This is Room in the Trees, a podcast about storytelling, authenticity, crawling into holes, and berries, and the poison in them. The poison in the berries. The show is hosted by Trent Reynolds and myself, Sabrina Wood Harrison. Show notes, including links and other information, can be found at roominthetrees.com. You can follow us on Instagram. Trent is at Trent Reynolds Art, and I am at Sabrina Ward Harrison on Instagram. We got some uh, feedback from the last episode on composition, and Ooh. we also had some interest in the the idea of doing um, critiques, online critiques. Cool. Yes. So uh, we will continue to pursue that idea. Maybe. Uh, Can you share the feedback? Tammy H. said, I really love this episode. The talk of composition is interesting for sure. To watch for how several paintings can stay the same even with different subject matter is, good, is a good awareness. I like the rapport and respect between, between you two. I would love to have my art critiqued. I'm always looking for new insights from fresh eyes. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tammy. <clears throat> Tammy's in Untether. Was in a, took Untether. Oh, was she? Yep. She's a great participant. Cool. Uh, and then we have another, uh, another message from Susie L. She said, loved this episode. I found the whole conversation surrounding composition. Interesting. I'd never thought of the edge of whatever surface I'm working on as being a factor. Cool. Oh, she's ready for a book. She's ready. Is that what you talk about? Oh, making, making book, a book. book. <clears throat> yeah. And that, uh, side note about that people know. <clears throat> People have been asking about when they can find out more information about Liberate, the book course. And so mm-hmm. all of that comes out the last week of April, first week of May. So the registration and uh, information will all kind of happen in one gust of excitement around the very end of April. And doors for registration will open for um, May 1st. So people can be getting all that information is going to come out. There's going to be some videos um, that we'll be launching <clears throat> at the very end of the month. So stay tuned for all of that. And be sure you're on my mailing list. Um, you can go to sabrinawardharrison.info if you aren't on it and get yourself on the wait list by just putting your name in uh, in the window that comes up when you go to the site. Awesome. And we have our video coming out next week. Next week, oh, decisive yeah. action. Cannot wait for your feedback, talking? everyone's feedback about yes. that. And we want to make more of them and do some classes. Uh, you can see a trailer on the website, roomofthetrees.com. It is dynamite to be back in California. It dynamite. Dynamite, man. It is so good to be back here in the Bay Area. Wow. It's been so many years. What was I thinking? <laughs> mm. I just came, I just came back from taking an explore. I went back to my old art school, which I haven't been back to, and just roamed around. And the school's expand. It's California College of the Arts, and it used to be called CCAC, now it's CCA. And I, we were there. I was there the first year that the San Francisco campus opened, so it was much smaller, and expanded mm-hmm. out to a big, big, beautiful modern campus. But I was roaming the old part of the building that I remember coming in for my critiques and I went into the bathroom I used to hide in. <laughs> used to hide critiques. in? Yeah, I used to hide um. in it occasionally, you know, just to try to ground myself and get, you know, centered <laughs> before a critique. Right. 
Yeah, so it's really, it's really, it's really great to be, be back and uh, taking it all in. Does it bring back not just memories, but just the feelings of what you did there and yeah. the experiences that you, yeah, yeah just the energy of that time. And what's yeah. in a full circle is that this morning I had a conversation with Sam Lamott on his podcast, Hello Human, and he was asking a listener question, which was about. I wish I could remember her name, but she was asking about a certain page that said, you know, with my bruised knee, messy hair and chap lips, I'm splendidly imperfect. Another bath it will be. And the question was, do you remember writing that? And, and it was, it was actually, you know, I found that journal page recently where I'd written in my journal that, and, and I actually remember when I was telling him, I was saying, I remember that feeling it was during, during that being in art school and feeling like, well, feeling that way and, and admitting it, I hadn't really ever written about those, like, well, I'll just admit that I'm just kind of this way right now. And mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but to be then back mm. on that land that I'm like, yep, this is where I, <laughs> I was here with my chapped lips, bruised knees and messy hair, just making it through. So, mm. it, and, and also just a learning environment of school. I'm sure you, you know, for you with, the Art Institute, just walking around and seeing critiques going on and just be like, man, I want to be in there. Yeah, it's hard not to be. So when we were there in Chicago yeah. in October, we went and walked through yeah. some of the buildings that Laura and I had gone to at the, at the Art Institute. And yeah, it's hard not to be jealous, like just because it's, it's, it's expanded as well. And there's like, right. you know, a new fab lab and there's... Right. Like the studios are amazing, and right. everything is in like new cafeteria, and I don't know. It's just like you guys don't understand I what know. you've got. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of worn in a bit more. Like it just feels like it's all cool, and the you know, it's just more stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like kind of weathered in a cool way. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah, it's, exciting. It's, it was great. It was really cool to be back. And I'm staying at my friend Blythe's house, who I remember just, just it's just it's funny not seeing people for so long and how you can kind of pick up right where you left off and we're sort of talking mm-hmm. in a funny voice we used to talk in, like hello, hey little people. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just <laughs> and you had that recently with Emily Roberts, didn't you? You saw an old friend from high school. Yes. Yeah. We had a really, really nice time. I, uh, we took, uh, I went with her for a drive to yeah. um, Santa Barbara area and we stopped and ate at this burger, burger joint. that was right on the ocean. It was beautiful. But yeah, it's like, there's nothing, nothing like sitting down with somebody that you have that, that deep history with, you yeah. know, and you've seen them go through their life and seeing their path and, and just people with inside jokes from a long time ago. You know, you and Emily had mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of laughs. Yeah, I met Emily in art class as well. I met you in art class. I met Emily in seventh grade Mrs. Sanderson's class. Okay. Do you remember Mrs. Sanderson? Yeah, I think that's where I met. I think I met your brother there. Oh. With a little crush on your brother back in the old sixth, seventh grade. Sanderson's art class. Anyway, yeah, it was wonderful to see her. I don't. She lives up in La Cunada, which is not that far away, but still, you know, just life. Life is busy, and it's hard to make time to, you know, yeah. just to hang out for a bit. Mm-hmm. And it is gorgeous right now yeah. in California. Yeah, it is perfect. 
like the it's not too hot there's nice cool breeze and the it's just perfect temperature everything it's just in the sun is shining the plants are green the hills are still like bright green from all the rain that we got and i don't know there's something just so glorious about these this past week yeah it's just been really beautiful we just um it, we just had i think four four new people join the studio space Oh, and cool. yesterday I worked with two ceramicists who have joined the studio space to build out um, a table and some racks for ceramics in that front room. I don't know if you remember that yeah. where, the, where the kiln is. So now um, that space is looking more like legit, like uh, well utilized. And I don't know. I just, I you, you know this about me. Like I very much enjoy things looking purpose built and everything right. kind of, you know, well organized. So, so I'm excited about that. And the people that are coming in are just really solid, great people. I'm excited for them to be there. And we were all over there today and there's, everybody's working and oh, man, somebody awesome. ordered in a pie. <laughs> Trevor did actually. Uh. He, he, he said, <clears throat> he started a new tradition, pie Fridays. And uh, That's I guess there's cool. there's a pie shop called Pie Hole, and uh, they deliver. So he had a pie delivered. What kind? <laughs> I don't even know. It was purple. It was purple with pistachios on top. Really tasty. He told me the it was not a, a usual like a normal flavor. You know, it was. I can't even hazard a guess. It was right. A strange like Loganberry or something. <laughs> Who eats Loganberry? I don't know. Do you know where Logan? Where, where does Loganberry come from? I'll investigate. Aren't they small, round little berries? I wonder where they get the name. I've got to no find idea. that out. But it is one of those berries that every once in a while, like <laughs> you'll you'll run across you know, some product that has Loganberry in it. And you're like, what? I feel like it's like or, it's sort of uh, tart, but then current. Really sweet. Yeah, current. Mm, current's good. You've got current's good. Logan. I wonder where the name came from. Who's Logan? <laughs> <laughs> Remember Mr. Logan? Yeah, Logan was down by the river yeah. and found a berry. <laughs> Call it Logan. Okay, the Loganberry is a hybrid of blackberry and raspberry. Hey. A hybrid. The plant and the fruit resemble the blackberry more than the raspberry, but the fruit color is a dark red rather than black as blackberries. Who knew berries were so like intermixable? Yeah, the poisonberry. Maybe they aren't. It's across among the European raspberry and the European blackberry. The American Dewberry mm. and Loganberry. So wait, they're all they're all mixtures of raspberry and blackberry. It's the boysenberry is a cross among four fruits: the oh four the European raspberry, European blackberry, the dewberry, and the loganberry. Oh, wow. Yes, it was the Knott's Berry Farm. That is right, correct. I hope he's a little bit of well, a little bit of education thrown into the mix here with their program. 
That's right. Let's just finalize with what flavor of berry would be your favorite. I have to admit, I am like when it comes to jam. Yeah. Or I really do like the boysenberry. Like I'll go to the store just for boysenberry, um, Knott's boysenberry. Really? I don't know if it's jelly or jam. I'm not even sure if I really understand that. Maybe this is embarrassing to admit. I don't know if I know the difference between jelly and jam. Yeah, so jam has... Yeah. (laughs) I knew that came out like that. Just go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're going to say... I felt really good that I knew the answer to that. (laughs) Really good about it. So jam has the seeds in it, and jelly doesn't have the seeds in it. Oh, I did not. And I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. Like the jelly consistency would be different, but jam is, you got the the little bits in it. So you prefer jelly, do you? No, I like jam better. Um, I like the bits. Yep. Like the the seeds. I would say I'm a raspberry. My grandmother used to make fresh raspberry jam and i love raspberry jam yeah i mean they're all so good yeah uh if you know of anybody that has developed their own berry (laughs) i'd be curious to hear about that tell us about your berries (laughs) (laughs) what berry is native to wisconsin there there must be you know, states have flowers. Do states have berries? Do like states a, have berries? State? Okay, what is the state? What is the state berry? California must be boysenberry. I can't imagine there's a more famous California native berry. Uh, apparently, there are no California state berries. Governor Gavin Newsom declared avocados as the state fruit, almonds as the state nut artichokes as a state vegetable and rice as the state grain there are no state berries the wisconsin's state fruit is the cranberry so california is the avocado and wisconsin's the cranberry well there you go new jersey oh i've got a whole there's a whole list (laughs) on here what is what what's the banana who's the banana i don't know if anybody's got the banana Okay, maybe I'm misunderstanding this list, but uh, North Carolina strawberry. Okay. New Jersey blueberry. Kentucky is a glass of milk. <laughs> Shut, up. Shut up. I don't understand this, this list. <laughs> Georgia, unsurprisingly, is a peach. Florida, key lime pie. California is uh, avocado. And Alaska is salmon. So I guess those are just uh, maybe state favorites or identifying fruits so who are we tell us a little bit about who our guest is this week uh this week we invited uh, a studio mate of mine on and his name is trevor albert uh trevor is a movie producer uh who also paints and really interesting uh background and he runs a uh comedy film school associated with second city in chicago um and just has a very unique perspective uh, on art making because of you know a very different background. 
So in this conversation, we talk about uh, his experiences in making movies, his history and how he uh, came up through the ranks. We talk about his uh, about film and his film school and Harold Ramis and uh, and he was the uh, gopher in Caddyshack. No big deal. And here is our conversation with Trevor Albert. Some podcasts are uh, feel like homework uh, to listen to, you know, some educational ones that I listen to. And some are, um, feel like people talking, but I really don't want to spend any time with them. <laughs> and you guys are somewhere in between. I mean, I want to spend time with you guys and they're sort of interesting. And um, I mean, the other thing is I, I know Trent um, from hanging out with him uh, in the studio and he's those hangouts are fleeting because he's rarely here for very long. So I, I feel like I know him much better listening to the podcast yeah. than I do from spending time with him here. Mm. So part of it is like me knowing somebody and then getting to know a lot more about them by listening to them, you know, talk extemporaneously. And we, we've talked about that before. Just uh, coming to the studio serves a very specific purpose in my, my day-to-day, in my life. And it's not, you know, it's usually to unplug and to unwind. So when I'm here, it's not necessarily in the same mode as right. being, you know, in a conversation on a podcast. Right. So. Where's the podcast fit into all that? I thought you meant the podcast is your chance to unwind. It is in a in a way. I guess maybe the difference is between unwinding and unplugging. <laughs> yeah. So com- yeah. coming to the studio like is a chance for me to get my hands dirty and to right just to focus on you on making. Yeah, yeah. It is much more kind of internal for me than right. whereas like when I'm at work or even on the podcast, I'm it's all about engaging and interacting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just different different roles, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I'm a I'm a fan. Do you have a website, Trevor, that I can look at while I'm while we're talking? Yeah, you can go to Trevor Albert. Just type in TrevorAlbert.com. Um, I think will take you probably to. And you have me you're... or a football player's website. Yeah. <laughs> There's a baseball player named Trent Reynolds. Is there? So yeah, yeah. Name. Trent. <laughs> Is there? Yeah. I thought we we're talking about me. Now we're talking well, about you. I'm just saying. I was trying to relate to you. I'm trying to create <laughs> common ground here. That's... Uh, sport, there's a sports person named after all of us. There's some random girl in England named Sabrina Harrison. Oh, wow. Does she play a sport she's or she's just some just... person? So- I think a cricket, a very good cricket player, I believe. <laughs> so Trevor Albert, um, very well known, as it turns out, for his starring role as uh, Punxsutawney Phil, the puppeteer. And I thought you were, oh, am I going to get that wrong? No, but you're so, so close. This is so embarrassing. I thought for sure I was going to get this right. No, a, 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 a gopher who has no name in a different movie, uh, Caddyshack. I thought you were Punxsutawney Phil in, in Groundhog's Day. No. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You ruined my whole intro. Oh, wow. Well, maybe it's going <laughs> to... Maybe it's going to help your whole intro. Yeah, I think. Have I'm, we started yet? This is embarrassing. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. we're starting. Well, now we started half an hour ago. We're going to have to cut this part out because I got this horribly wrong. This may be the best part. This is the way people actually remember stuff. Exactly. Sure, it's the True. mistakes. <laughs> okay, so uh, Trevor Albert. Well, you got my name right. Well, that's a start. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. Well known for his role as the gopher in Caddyshack. Right which is 
a favorite movie of anybody born in or you know i guess conscious in that time. yeah okay so now that i've bungled your introduction why don't you uh let's you, you want to start again well can you tell me how you'd introduce yourself oh how i would introduce myself yeah hi my name's trevor albert nice to meet you but you are you are famous well, I don't know, spheres. famous. No, I was a, um, a celebrity. I was a production assistant on my first movie that I ever worked on. Um, and uh, the lowest person on the movie. Um, and there was a point in that movie, Caddyshack, where they were trying to figure out how they were going to get the puppet to appear out of the up from the green on the, you know, on the golf course. And some stuff on movies is sort of... Um, fly by the seat of your pants, you know, you sort of find solutions um, during the time you're shooting. And this was one of the things they hadn't really quite figured out. And so um, the prop people on the movie started digging a huge hole um, in which they were going to have, you know, the puppet was going to appear out of the behind the green. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hole got so deep that um, nobody was willing to go in the hole to, to hold the puppet. Um, and um, for various reasons. And eventually I saw everyone pointing at me. Hmm. Um, and, um, and the next thing I know, I was getting, you know, the puppet was put on the end of my hand and I was getting pushed into the hole. Awesome. And so, um, so fame was really thrust upon me. I did not go looking for it. Right. <laughs> Is that, did you get a credit for that? I did not get a credit for it. They just put, put you in that hole, made you endure that. Yeah. For no reward at all. No, I don't think anyone knew that anyone would be speaking <laughs> about that puppet ever. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so let funny. alone 40 years later. Uh, the assistant to the director um, left after about a week of uh, pre-production. And um, again, everyone looked around to see who could be the assistant. And they pointed at me and I became the assistant to Harold. Harold and the, the director was Harold Ramis. And that is where your relationship with Harold Ramis began. It is. For those that aren't familiar with uh, with who he is, he, he was a Ghostbuster. He was one of the original, the nerdy one. He was, uh, well, he he wrote um, Ghostbusters and then was one of the actors in Ghostbusters. Right. And he wrote a bunch of movies. Um, before he wrote Caddyshack uh, and directed, he wrote a movie called Animal House. Um, and then something yeah. called Meatballs and Stripes and... Legendary. And many other. Yeah. Yeah, those movies came after Caddyshack. So, uh, yes. And you were you were involved in all of those. Things. I was not involved. I was only involved in the movies that he directed. I see. I see. Uh, so he wrote some that he didn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, you'll have to excuse me for not having a very deep knowledge of how movies or the movie industry works. But oh, I don't have a very deep knowledge of it either. So. But you have. Excuse me. You have. Uh, we could go to IMDb, which I should have done before this and you um, have been involved in many movies beyond that and that was only the beginning of your uh, your career in movies right it was yeah although i worked with harold for um almost 22 years i worked as an assistant on that movie and then i worked up my way up the old-fashioned way in hollywood so i became the production associate and then associate producer and then producer and then we producing partners for like i say probably 15 of those or 18 of those 22 years mm. and the majority of your the movies that you've been involved in were uh, in partnership with Harold uh, I would say maybe two-thirds of them and then I went on to do my own stuff and 
but it was a you know long very um uh exciting collaborative um journey with him and you're currently uh working uh, helping to lead a school in collaboration with second city in chicago i am uh, so Harold, uh, Harold passed away, um, way too early, um, about six or seven years ago. And, um, his, uh, wife was asked by second city about a year after he died, if, um, she would let them use his name because they wanted to start a little film school. And she was not sure if that was, a, you know, sort of appropriate use of his name. She wanted to make sure she was protecting his legacy. So she called me. And said, would I come to Chicago and meet with um, the Second City people and just hear what they were planning on doing? Um, and I knew a little bit about film schools, or I should say art schools, because my daughter at that time was interviewing, uh, going around looking at art schools around the country. So I went to Chicago, and they sort of pitched this idea of a film school, um, a one-year sort of conservatory. And uh, I was fascinated by it and sort of liked the idea. And they sort of asked me for my thoughts on what, in a perfect world, I thought a one-year film school focused on comedy studies would look like and shared my thoughts and then left. Um, and then a couple of days later, they called and said, would I be interested in consulting? And that consultancy led to me going back and forth to Chicago over the next six months. And then eventually they said, would I like to help run the school? And so uh, because I, I by then I was so invested in it and, and I love the idea of having a school that was just focused on comedy filmmakers, which is kind of a rarity, doesn't exist in the country yeah. or the world as far as I know. I was interested to hear about like what your idea was uh, for one year, like how, what that, what that looked like. What I felt like having visited film schools with my daughter and even gone and um, shown movies at film schools around the country in my career was first of all, comedies were in short supply. Most film schools think of comedy as sort of the, they tack it on somewhere, you know, towards the end of their, um, mm -hmm. you know, presentation of film students. They're, they're not really taken seriously in film school or even in, you know, most circles. Um, and um, so I love the idea that we would focus on that. And, and when I started working for Harold, I was 22 years old. And, and although I liked comedy and I liked to laugh and make people laugh, I didn't really have a great sort of history. I didn't have great knowledge of, um, the history of comedic film or TV or literature. And, mm -hmm. and in the course of my working with Harold that first year or two, he would occasionally come up to me and say, have you seen a movie called Sullivan's Travels, Travels by Preston Sturgis? I'm like, no. He said, watch that movie and then, you know, we'll talk. And then a couple of weeks later, he'd say, have you seen uh, Marx Brothers movies? And no. And so my relationship with him, certainly in the early years, was, um, you know, him exposing me to all this great comedic literature and movies and TV. And so my joke is I was the first graduate of the Harold Ramis Film School. Hmm. Um, so when I was thinking of doing this school in Chicago, I had that sort of memory of him sort of mentoring me and, hmm. and exposing me to all these wonderful things. And I thought, well, boy, it would be great if young people are interested in comedy, being comedy filmmakers, storytellers more specifically, could get that same immersion in those things. And so I said, I think if we're going to do it, we should it should be focused on storytelling because that's what Harold was. He was really a storyteller more than anything else. He wasn't that interested in where the camera went or, you know, how things looked. 
eventually got more interested, but he was really interested in telling stories and, and, you know, in a comedic way that had, you know, heart and humanity. So, so I wanted to infuse all those things that, um, he had sort of passed on to me into the school. And, and fortunately we, we've had the ability to do that. So it's a one year conservatory, um, 12 months, pretty intense. Um, and the students learn, they take a class in the history of comedic literature from, you know, Shakespeare and Aristophanes to, you know, David Sedaris and, uh, you know, TV from, um, you know, show of shows all the way to, you know, friends and right up to, um, you know, insecure, whatever's on now. And, and same with movies, you know, from Chaplin movies and Keaton all the way up to, you know, Adam McKay and, and, you know, um, so it's pretty immersive. As they study those, uh, you know, those precedents, are you talking about, are there, are there like, um, is there an aesthetic or is there like a practical approach to making a comedic film that's different in, in how you would approach other subject matter or is it not really, I mean, just an awareness kind of the, of the conventions or the history that helps you to tell your own stories. Yeah. I think like uh, most art forms, understanding what came before you sort of, you know, somehow gets in your DNA and affects how you, you know, create art. And I would consider comedy as, you know, part of that. I think foundationally a, uh, you know, a good comedy has to follow the same dramatic structure of a conventional movie, you know, mm-hmm. beginning, middle and end and, you know, interesting, compelling characters. Um, and the comedy stuff is sort of, you know, the sort of secret sauce that, um, you know, if you're gifted enough as a writer and then a director and a performer to be able to pull that off, that sort of, you know, adds to that foundational thing. Um, you know, that uh, again, uh, dramatic movies have to have. Right. So there's no formula really. And, and I'd like to say, if you come to the Harold Ramis film school, you know, at second city, you'll, you'll learn that formula. It really is just a combination of, um, historical understanding, immersing yourself in everything that's come before. And, the practice of actually doing it and being mentored by, you know, people who've done it. Right. So you yourself are a mentor to students there. Oh yeah. And there's, I imagine there's a whole system of, of mentorship. Is that second city is also involved in that actors or. So the students study the historical sort of theoretical stuff and they also study screenwriting. Um, uh, and they also study filmmaking. Mm. So they get to do, they get to do, um, sort of a, a, broad variety of things. Um, foundationally, everything is about um, storytelling. Um, in other words, that's the thing we really emphasize that fancy cameras and all that stuff is still not something that I think is that important. But at the end of the year, they all make short films and some of them are, are you know, exceptional. And when they're making their short films, um, they have access to the people under that second city uh, roof, which is where our school is in Chicago which is the same stage that, you know, Steve Carell and Tina Fey and went all the way back to, you know, Belushi and Bill Murray, that that's the place they all started. So um, it's also kind of an exciting, interesting thing to be at a school where, you know, the classroom is a hundred feet away from the main stage at second city, where the next generation of performers are doing their, you know, seven nights a week, they're entertaining people in Chicago. So it's, it's like a very dynamic atmosphere. Mm. And just proximity, it seems like the students in the film school would just have be going and watching the performers and getting a lot just from having 
that so accessible. Yeah, that is true. They do. They, 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 you know, obviously they can go to those shows and watch that stuff. It's, it's different because, um, if you've been to, have you ever been to, did you go to second city? In your... No, I'm ashamed to say, cause I was, I was there for three years and I never, never did go to second city. Is it too late? Never too late. It's never too late. Um, anyway, um, it's, you know, that is, is performative sort of, um, not sort of, it is improvisational comedy. And what we do at the film school is is different in that it's more traditional sort of narrative storytelling. Um, you know, they're writing pilots and, um, you know, TV pilots and feature films. Right. So it's a different form of comedy, but it still is, you know, obviously comedy. Right. Uh-huh. But it seems to me like in, in comedy, especially um, like improv, you want that feeling of, uh, of like unforced or natural uh, interaction or dialogue or whatever like that and in film you have to do that create that feel without the improv right it's got to be you got to create that the illusion of that freeness or looseness without uh, you know, the structure of improvisation yes that is true but if you've been to have either one of you ever been to an improv show yeah mm-hmm. right so the experience is moments of hilarity and moments of cringeworthy oh my god yeah they missed it yeah yeah getting it right Right. the reason to have a screenwriter is to avoid that those moments of cringeworthy oh wow they went the wrong direction right it's kind of exciting you know it's like a Mm -hmm. tightrope act and really good improvisers are unbelievable right but if it's not working it's really painful but that's that's i think that's it's like going to a like a, a a fight or even even going to um like a live theatrical performance that the, the stakes are higher because yeah. you know that there could be failure, right? Or totally. But going to a, like, a theater performance, well, the actors have no lines, you know? Right. Um, right. Yeah. They, I mean, the stakes are even higher. Yeah. Improv. Yeah. But that's part of the enjoyment I've always found in, in improv. Is right. Like you, you understand the difficulty of what yeah. you're trying to do. And it's just, no, the audience is in on it. Yeah. So, so certainly having those kind of people who are able to do that work on your short film for these film students is unbelievable. Yeah, um, because, yeah, they they um, we encourage the students to have scripts, obviously, mm-hmm. and for the actors to at least do a version of a scene with the scripted line. And then, which is what happened, you know, with something that Harold encouraged in, in movies I, you know, encouraged um, is that do the line as it's written and now try, you know, do your own version of it, you know, make it broader, do it, you know, sillier, you know, so there's improvisational actors have the ability to come and bring additional stuff besides what's in the script. Oh, and it's just seeing genius and in, in, you know, in, in a genius happening. It's just, I mean, the, the, the speed at which yeah. the ideas come and are developed and, you know, it's problem solving comedically. It's just, I, I even in high school, I remember, uh, Trenton, do you remember the comedy sports with Mrs. Healy? Yeah, yeah, I did that. I was... Wait, were you both in? Were you both in it? No. Don't you remember the? Co- I was. I I did it a little bit. I was. I was in comedy sports. Yeah. When I was in high school. You were the quarterback, I believe. No, no, I was a, on the bench. Wait, did you guys go to high school together? <laughs> we did. Yeah, that's where we know each other. What was... the heck? We did. Yeah, we go we, way back. We went. Oh we go my back gosh! To Wait, where did you guys go to high school? Lacanada High School. You both grew up in Lacanada. Yeah. Wait, weren't you the gopher in the? Um... <laughs> does this does this wrong. ring any bells? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of my time 
where the reason I met you is is because we both occupy this space in the art studio, right? Which has nothing to do necessarily with your, you know, the majority of your career. So I'm interested in hearing how uh, how you found your way to visual art and what effect that has or what relationship that has to your to filmmaking, if anything. Right. If it's well, it's just a side thing. It. Uh, when I was um, probably maybe six or seven years into trying to make it in the film business. Um, I started after I, you know, did my time as an assistant, um, working my way up. Eventually I was in a position of having to try and develop ideas for movies, um, whether they were my own ideas or books or, um, scripts that I would find. Um, and I would find ideas that I was very passionate about. Um, and start rolling those ideas up the Hollywood Hill. And um, I very quickly learned how frustrating it is and how long it takes to get movies made. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and many of them never get made. And so probably after seven or eight years or six or seven years, I was so frustrated that I didn't have a creative outlet um, that I just looked for something new. And, and uh, I'd always been interested in visual arts and I'd, I'd studied um, art in college a little bit and I thought, all right, I'm going to just start doing something so that I don't have to ask permission to yeah. create something because to make a movie, right. you need permission. You need a studio or a financier to say yes and then all those people to collaborate on it. And, and so I started painting, um, I don't know, 30 years ago, um, just in my basement, you know, occasionally. Um, and in periods where I felt like I was, um, stuck creatively or, or frustrated, I would, you know, always resort to just, you know, painting as an outlet. And, uh, so I've been doing it, you know, that, that sort of motivated it. And, mm-hmm. um, I would take classes mostly, um, just cause I, I, I was very used to being in a, in a environment where people were, you know, this expression, parallel play, mm-hmm. never heard it. It's an expression I love. So. Uh, my wife and I often do it. She's a graphic designer. And so we're at home and she's doing her graphic design and I'm drawing or something. And that's parallel play. We're not talking. Oh, yeah. To like side by side. We're time. both doing yeah. our thing together. I like that. Phrase, yeah. It's too. a lovely like, phrase. So so I realized painting in my basement by myself was not enough for me. So I, I felt the need to want to be around other people. Um, so I started taking classes and um, and that was another community of totally different people uh, from, you know, Hollywood, you know, people um, who, you know, it was all about story and narrative and verbal and stuff and mm. sit in a room or stand in a room with a bunch of people painting silently talking, whatever, but, you know, using a totally different part of your brain and mm. exercising totally different creative muscles. And I just loved it. I love the, I'm not going to call it distractions, just some other thing opened up in my brain that I, I felt was nourishing and, mm. um, and I, again, I, there have been years. So in from the time I started uh, painting, I then met my now wife and we had two children and life got in the way and I stopped painting for years. And then every once in a while I would, you know, dabble and stuff. But my l- oldest, my youngest daughter left for college about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, I want to I want to spend more time doing this thing I love. And so I started taking more painting classes and then found this space and then found Trent 
and here I am. Yeah. And then I found Sabrina. So now I, you know, whenever I can, I, I, uh, I paint. So painting was, was kind of an immediate, there's immediacy to that, that, that isn't present, present in the process of making movies, you know, that uh, ability to have an idea and then immediately act on that idea and see some kind of result. Right. It, and then, but you, do you find that that process informs or changed your perception of movie making and the kind of creative outlet that that is? I don't know that it changed my perception of movie making, but I think when you say you have an idea and you can just do it, uh, part of the beauty of, I'm an abstract painter, so part of the beauty of this is I don't have to have an idea, or at least uh-huh. it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to go through that sort of intellectual sort of filter um, and meet the metrics of, does the story work? Is this, you know, it's like, you know, when you're working on a screenplay or developing a story, it's, you know, complex set of, you know, metrics that by now I probably are, you know, it's sort of somehow in my DNA when something's working or not, but it's still like a, you know, mental exercise, um, uh, left brain, right brain. I don't know. Is it the right brain that sort of the more analytic and the left brain analytic, I think right brain creative. Right. So, so, so the left brain analytics are important in, in filmmaking. Um, cause it's what makes, I mean, movies are, sort of a mathematical aspect of making movies people think of it as you know purely creative or maybe they do but but it's not it's there's a lot of things that you have to get right to make these things work um unless you're experimental filmmaker and that sort of you know meets some different criteria but uh painting i uh could just turn off all those filters and and um just purely uh, get into the flow you know Mm -hmm. people talk artists talk about getting in the you know, the flow, state of flow or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You don't get into that when you're making movies. Mm. Um, but I think that's so interesting because Sabrina, uh, a lot of art, you're in my conversation in terms of how we each approach art. It seems like the, one of the ways that you operate is, I mean, it feels like you have a freedom from this need to intellectually justify what you're doing. Whereas I feel like I've, through going to art school, you know, where you're constantly being asked to justify what, you know, have some kind of, uh, you know, cultural context that you're trying to fit your artwork into or some concept behind it. It's so concept heavy, right, that you almost can't start doing anything until you have some justification, Um, which is something I feel like I've had to try to overcome. Mm -hmm. And part of why I think I've I've ended up in abstraction these past couple of years is a, I haven't had the time to try to intellectually justify anything. So the time I do have is just, you know, I've got to do something, you know, so it, 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 it's on action first. And then, you know, any kind of justification or trying to understand what it is has to happen. Anyway, I think it's interesting that to hear you talk about, you know, this being a relief almost from having to spend time intellectually justifying before you create, you know, you just jump into the creation and, thinking about it to later if at all when i'm working on a piece and i start getting stuck like we all do and then the intellectual stuff starts to seep in and what's this and what does it mean and why am i doing it and you know mm-hmm. how is somebody else going to perceive it then the flow state is over and you're back in sort of you know the knots of figuring out why and you know justifying it all but my happiest time is when i'm i'm sure most artists when they're in that sort of 
heightened state where, you know, you're just moving forward without questioning. Mm. Um, and that, and that I, I, you know, that I never had making movies. Right. Uh, it's a different thing. Mm. Um, I grew up with a father who's a filmmaker. So watching it, watching the, uh. like, we think we got the deal. No. And then yes. And then like, you know, and all the elements of it. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, but then yeah. also then the, when the film does happen and you get in that, that flow of it of really creating and that's that is so exciting um and there's a sort of level of improvisation that has to happen as well as at least with directing that that occurs but i think that getting into the flow state yeah the the euphoria that results from getting into that flow space that we all want to get into and and in our busy lives how we how can we drop down into that place uh as, as quickly as possible um, when our time is, is limited. I was thinking of the analogy of the movie business, you know, of trying to get a movie made uh, compared. To, it would be like, I need a canvas. Yes, I got it. No, I can't get the canvas. The canvas, I thought I had it, but I can't get <laughs> yeah. it. It's not available. And then, you know, it's like, okay, I got the canvas. I'm going to start painting. Oh, the paints are gone. I don't have paint That's yet. I need perfect. somebody else to say yes to yeah. get the paints. And it's endless, you know, and then I have the paints, but I look over and the person who gave me the canvas has decided to take it back. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like that way the whole time. It, it, it doesn't end it's that analogy. way right until, yeah, <laughs> right till like, what, what kind of stuff did your father do? Yeah. Was he a director? Writer and director. Yeah. Aha. Um, Trevor, before, uh, before we wrap up, I'm wondering if you have any, um, as we talk about, uh, I guess, authenticity or, mm -hmm. Uh, developing some kind of authentic uh, storytelling or expression. Um, you've been involved in in a school that that I'm sure is is trying to teach that very thing. It's mm -hmm. like an approach to storytelling that that comes across mm -hmm. as authentic. Do you have advice or things that you've seen or uh, that people struggle with and in, in instruction on how to I don't know pursue that? I don't know. I mean, it's a hard one to to sort of reduce down to a, like, you know, a, a couple of lines. Um, I think the best thing to do is come to the school for a year and then you'll know everything you need to, but no, I'm kidding. Um, maybe I'm not kidding. Um, I no, I valid. think the hard thing, um, for, first of all, being a good, um, storyteller, um, among friends and family is way different than being a good storyteller in, like you were saying, Sabrina, standing up on a stage or creating a film, that's a totally mm -hmm. different thing. And, um, and I think the notion of authenticity and if is the thing that I have to say important enough for me to stand up straight and have people listen to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think a lot of stories that get pitched from young students, or even older students feel like they are uh, something they've heard from a, a they've they've gotten from another movie or another TV show. So even though I think it's important for them to know what came before for all of us, you know, to see to read great literature and watch great movies and TV, I, I think at the end of the day, what's your own story? You know, what is the stuff that does is meaningful to you? Right. Um, and and that's not the natural instinct i think for a lot of young filmmakers now um they're so immersed in um the media culture that's everywhere that it's very hard for them to 
sit back and think, all right, what was that family vacation like just with our family in that cottage somewhere? You know, they're they're extrapolating it and combining it with the last episode they saw of Black Mirror combined with the last superhero thing. Mm. And that and and that tends to, you know, uh, get as far away from authenticity as you can imagine. Um, yeah. So so sort of trying to figure out what those things are that, you know, are interesting. And and the last thing that's, you know, for me, which is important is, you know, uh, what's important as a society, you know, uh, there's a certain responsibility that we have as storytellers, certainly young filmmakers, and I tell them this all the time. Um, you know, you think you're just, you know, a kid in Chicago making a movie, but you could uh, ultimately one day become somebody who is, uh, in fact, uh, uh, having a significant voice in the cultural dialogue through your movies. And what is your responsibility, your social responsibility? Right. And um, you can make a movie uh, which is an irreverent movie about nothing, and that's fine, making people laugh. But also, um, is there something about the society, about people, the way people are treating each other right now, about the sort of um, country in the world that feels a little out of control or more than a little out of control that's worth commenting on? Right. And unfortunately, a lot of our students um, are paralyzed by what's going on in the country now. And even we're paralyzed and don't know what to make of it. And so they their stuff is sort of dystopian or um, comedic without any sort of social. Um, it doesn't feel like they have enough social awareness. So I'm, I'm a big believer right now in, in encouraging students who have any inclination in making work about, you know, our culture, our society, what's going on hmm. and trying to comment on it and, uh, you know, hopefully shift the oil tankers slightly um, from the direction that it's turning. Well, fantastic. Uh, appreciate your time. Sometime I want to get you and work. David on. Oh, uh, my gosh. Together. Would, that would be fantastic. Excellent. We've had David on the show before, um, but I think it would be, be great to hear you guys talking. With I would love it. Sabrina, enjoy your travels. Nice Thank meeting you very you. much. It was nice meeting you, Trevor, and I'll hopefully see you in the studio one day. Definitely. I look forward to it. All right. All right, see you guys. We'll see you. Bye. You're done. Thank uh-huh. you so much. Not at all. So, uh, checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. Uh, or, uh, uh, sesame cracker. Sesame stamp. Yes. Did you get it? No, I'm going to get you a sesame stamp. No, I don't get that's, one thing, that's one thing that I could You can do that. All right. Yeah. You've got me addicted. <laughs> that's good to hear. Thank you, Trevor, for spending some time. It was really, really, really great discussion. And I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Trevor, and we look forward to talking and laughing again next week. Go out and find yourself some berries. Have a wonderful week, y'all. Oh, that was funny. Yep, that was great.